Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Style That Finds Us podcast. Today, we are here with Rachel Blumenthal. She is the founder and CEO at Rockets of Awesome. She went to Tufts University, worked in PR at Yves Saint Laurent, our absolute favorite, and has since founded three companies, Rachel Lee LLC, Cricket Circle, and Rockets of Awesome. She has had an incredible career, and we are so excited to share her story with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you. So tell us about growing up. Did you always think that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Oh, such a good question. Well, I grew up on Cape Cod, and most people always ask, well, you mean you summered there? And I'm like, no, 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 I actually grew up there. Um, So when you grow up on Cape Cod, you're not exposed to many careers. Um, You're really not exposed, certainly, to fashion. And um, my dad's a surgeon. My mom is a therapist. So um, I really wasn't exposed to entrepreneurs either. Um, And I didn't know that fashion could be a career. And I always had a passion for it. And um, I was really fortunate that my mom used to take me to New York City to go shopping every year. And I remember the first time that I really remember being here. I was in a taxi. And I couldn't miss looking out from either window because I didn't want to miss anything on either side. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the most inspiring place, and I have to live here. Um, But, I mean, even if you had asked me, you know, 20 years ago, I would have been like, no, there's no way I will be an entrepreneur. I was very sort of straight and narrow by the book. Um, I would never describe myself as a risk taker. I, you know, believed that I was going to climb the ladder, go to business school, and run somebody else's company someday mm-hmm. um, and you know being an entrepreneur really sort of became you know it was very accidental and I'm grateful that it was accidental because in, in some ways at least for me it needed to be to um, help me be comfortable with sort of taking that first risk mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. That's the same. I mean, growing up in Alabama, I certainly never dreamed of a career in fashion or even knew that was the thing. No, and our, my father was a surgeon, too, yeah. and my mother was a homemaker. So, yeah, the idea of starting anything after 50, which is what I did, is kind of I know. I, I feel too. very fortunate for my kids who are growing up in New York City, and right. they're exposed to so much and so many careers, and they can really immerse themselves in it and learn right. about it so that they, when they go to college, they go very informed. Yes. I feel like I went, you know, with my head, you know, in a, in a box because I right. really had no idea. Right. Um, you know, and so whenever young people come to me and they say, well, how do I get into fashion or how do I start my career? Yes. I always just encourage them to do as many internships as possible right. and to speak to as many people about their jobs mm-hmm. and not just saying, well, what do you do? But how did you get there? Right. What was your trajectory? Um, because I think that that's so valuable and informative yes. to figuring out, well, what are you going to do? You know? And are you willing to, to do what they did to get there? Absolutely. That's the other thing, yeah. too. I think so many people wanted to talk to Delia and Delia's like, they're not going to put in the hard work. So, right. you know, it's really it's really a lot. But also it was fascinating for me to learn that there really isn't one clear path. So it is very interesting how sometimes things just kind of happen and then later in mm-hmm. hindsight you can understand why. But also that it's not necessarily like if you do this, then you get this job, then you get this job, maybe mm-hmm. like in finance or something. Right. So that is like a comforting thing to know that mm-hmm. whether – you make the first step, you choose your first job, it's not like end-all, be-all. 
Right. And I, yeah, you know, I always say that when I look back on what my career has been to date, the one thing that is very consistent across all of it is that I've been quite opportunistic Mm -hmm. in my process. And what I mean by not the opportunistic and taking advantage of people, but opportunistic in that lots of opportunities come your way. Mm -hmm. You meet lots of different types of people. Um, I think a lot of people's instinct is to say, well, that's not for me or, you know, I'm not interested. And I've always been a very curious person to want to know, well, what is this all about? Mm -hmm. That way I'm informed to then decide if I'm interested or not. And so many of those sort of opportunities have what then opened the door for, you know, bigger opportunities for me. Um, And so, you know, I really, really encourage people to continue to open doors, Mm -hmm. even if you ultimately say no to a lot of those. Mm -hmm. Um, It's informing and giving you the knowledge set to then make better decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And then, so what did you major in? So I was economics and political science okay. because um, Tufts is a liberal arts yeah. school and there were no business majors. So okay. that was the closest I could get to it. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Fascinating. And ha- do you think you use that, any of that? In- None of it. No. Okay. I mean, the minute I got to college, I was like, I just want to work. Yeah. Right. I, if, if I could have worked from, you know, straight out of high school, I right. would have. Right. Of course, you learn a lot about, um, you know, discipline. And oh, I think sure. you learn so much about, um, you know, developing socially and relationships and priorities and responsibility in college. But for me, I was always just really hungry to work. And so Mm -hmm. the minute I could do internships Mm -hmm. um, or I could do sort of extra projects that put me on the ground to actually learn and understand, Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. what I was really hungry for. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And then, okay, so after graduating, landing your first job at YSL, how did that happen? Congratulations. So it's a fun story. My friend Allie was a publicist at Dior. And, you know, we were straight out of college, so we were total peons, but (laughs) she was a publicist at Dior, and um, that was very aspirational. And she sent an email inviting me to a sample sale. Um, She also CC'd every single publicist in Manhattan on that email. And I saw that, and I was like, that's the opportunity. That is the holy grail. So yes, I went to the sample sale, but um, more importantly, I copied and pasted every single email address from Mm -hmm. that email. Mm -hmm. I BCC'd them and I sent them my resume. Brilliant. And people started responding. And I remember calling my mom, and I was standing on the corner of 57th and 5th, and I was like, Mom, people are responding. Like, is it, like I, it feels like, you know, like, you know, it's someone's, amazing. like, spoofing me or something. Yeah. But people responded, and um, I had interviews at Chanel and Herrera and Yves Saint Laurent and mm-hmm. Taz and a number of others. And, I mean, that was a dream come true. Sure. I remember walking in and being like, I mean... I could just die now, right? right, For me, a girl that has loved fashion my entire life, um, that was a dream. And um, I really connected with the woman who interviewed me, Yves Saint Laurent. She was also Mm -hmm. from Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Um, She was really funny. She was like, you know, later after she hired me, I said, why did you hire me? Because I had no experience. And she said, well, you know, you, you went to Tufts, you seemed smart, you were really hungry. She's like, and you're from Massachusetts. She was like, I liked that you were like a Massachusetts girl. So um, we really connected. And, you know, I still remember there was this um, 
velvet peep toe, um, incredibly like rhinestone embellished mm-hmm. shoe on her desk with this diamante cherry clip mm-hmm. that went on the shoe. And I just, mm-hmm. I remember every single moment because right. it was a pinch me moment. Right. Um, and so I, you know, I started working there and it was, it was an absolute dream job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And then did you move here without a job? I did not move here without a job. Um, I actually went through this like crazy process where I was um, I was an economics major, so everyone goes into finance or consulting. Yep. And um, I did get a job in finance, and then probably about three months before graduating, I had a panic attack, and I was like, <laughs> I don't even know what I got this job for. Like, I'm not qualified for this job. I'm not passionate about not it. Interested. I really must have faked it well enough that they hired me, but that's not gonna be fair to either of us. So I pulled out of that job. Um, I went and worked at AWOL Time Warner for a period because I'd interned prior for them, and um, and then transitioned to Yves Saint Laurent after. Mm-hmm. So no, it was a requirement that I had a job to move to Manhattan. Sure, yes. same with her. Yeah. She that called was and not Bebe. I need that job. Well, you got to live with my aunt and uncle, which you wouldn't yeah. have been able to stay. But yeah, when she got her job, then she got her oh job at God, Barney's, and then two weeks. Well, whatever. <laughs> That's the same thing. All the LinkedIn, all the coffees, all the right. things yes. yeah. leading up to that. But then yes. once you get to Saint Laurent or Barney's, it's like it's hard to go back oh yeah (laughs) you know well you I mean it just it opens up a whole world for you right and you really start to understand how all the pieces are connected and how it all works and you know I was in this incredibly creative environment but my role wasn't as creative it was very strategic but it wasn't creative um and so I went to the bead stores one day on like a Saturday and on 6th Avenue and like 38th Street and I bought a bunch of beads and some um semi-precious a gold wire uh, metal mm-hmm. and I made myself a ring and I was wearing it at work one day and editors used to come in all the time to mm-hmm. look at the collection and pull for shoots and an editor from Lucky Magazine came in and I'd become friends with her at this point and she loved my ring and she decided to feature me in the magazine so they featured me as one to watch an up and coming designer oh and and there was just that one ring <laughs> there was just that one ring I love it and I thought it was the funniest thing I was like wait are you sure like this is such smoke and mirrors and I was like you know what just go for it right like just go with it fake it till you make it right (laughs) um so they featured me I remember they called me for a credit check which is you know what stores are you in how much does it cost and I said well I'm in a meeting right now I'll have to call you back um (laughs) but the reality was is that I didn't have a company name I didn't have a retailer I didn't have anything um nothing so I walked up and down Madison and Columbus and Amsterdam um, that weekend and I basically convinced somebody to take my ring on consignment um, so I had a retailer and I made up a price and I handmade two more items for the photo shoot and mm-hmm. that was my business um, and then about two months later Daily Candy called me and this was in 2003 so Daily Candy was the only game in town like they were bigger than Goop is now mm-hmm. and, and sort of all these platforms and they said we're featuring you what is your domain? So I was in a meeting again, of course. Um, so, um, you know, I had to call them back. It was a very important meeting. And um, I didn't even go to meetings back then. Exactly. Um, and I called this guy that I hadn't seen since I was 13, um, who I heard, like, built websites, which I didn't really know what that meant. And he built me a landing page, and it had a photo and an email address, and that was my website. And Daily Candy hit, and it was... it. 
it was like nothing I could have ever imagined. It totally wow. put me on the map. It was, um, the traffic was out of control. And um, I started doing trunk shows at Henry Vendel. Shop Up picked me up as one of their first jewelry designers. Um, and I was, you know, I had interest from customers and retailers and, and press that, you know, I didn't even knew how they knew I existed. Right. Um, but I just sort of went with it. Were and you still at Dior at this point? I was still you, YSL. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, YSL. I was still at YSL. Well, I was basically working at YSL till 10, 10 10.30 at night. Oh, and then gosh. I would go home and I would hand make jewelry. Oh, my gosh. And my roommate at the time was my intern at YSL. Oh, so wow. I basically like convinced her to like run a sweatshop, the two of us. Oh, how funny. Until like 3 a.m. <laughs> every day. And um, oh yeah, you just fake it till you make it. Um, but ultimately, probably about um, maybe like six or nine months in, I had a number of accounts of retailers. I had gotten more press coverage, and I really felt like I had enough sort of visibility to the interest yeah. of the business and the brand and decided to um, take the leap and sub shop my living room and figure out if it would work. So I said, you know what, I'll probably be back in six months, but uh, I'm going to go try this. Mm -hmm. And it was really my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, um, who encouraged me to do that. He's the risk taker of the two of us. And he <laughs> said, what do you mean? Like, you already have this brand, you have this business. It's so, so incredible. Like, of course you should do this. So he really encouraged me to do that. And um, I built that company. I built Rachel Lee for eight years. Um, we were in about 500 retailers worldwide. Wow. We did private label for American Eagle, Target. Target and J. Crew. Amazing. Um, and I really just taught myself how to run a business, how to manage a team, how to hire people, um, how to run a supply chain, and wow. and and. Um, and it was such an incredible learning experience. So incredible. From one from one ring. From one ring. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, the corner 57th and 5th is one of our favorite spots in the city. It's <laughs> a good one. one. Right? Yeah. yeah. I was also shot by Bill Cunningham there once, <gasps> oh, which is such a yes. fun fact. Yes, yes, I know. Yes. Oh, the best. He's I know, the best. I know. Yeah. And then what you were saying about going to the jewelry store, it's kind of similar to why I started. So originally I had DLAFolk.com and mom had Allison Brune, and then we combined to create the style that finds us the mother daughter duo. But I wasn't, I didn't want to just be Delia 100% Barney's anymore because I, like you, I couldn't really be creative. It was very analytical, and since I was an assistant, a lot out of my control. So to all of you listening, if you aren't getting everything that you need to get and aren't 100% fulfilled, it could be a great idea to find something else that you're really passionate about so that you can go to work and be give it your all but also you know you have this other thing too and I definitely think that what is consistent across nearly all successful entrepreneurs is that um, they mitigate risk, right? And so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they figure out ways to sort of test their idea, test mm -hmm. their passion, dip their toe in before jumping off the bridge, right? right? Um, so similar to what you did, what I did, this idea where you start to lay the groundwork for what could be, mm -hmm. you know, your, your future career, mm -hmm. um, but really sort of answering questions along the way before you um, go out on your own. Right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Or just, you know, shove yourself out of the nest like we did in Fashion Month and figure it out. Okay. And then, so does that happen these days in terms of traffic, like Pop Sugar back in the day? No. Or Daily Candy? No, it doesn't. Wait, no. Daily, Daily Candy. Okay. Daily, Daily Candy. candy. 
No, I mean, Daily Candy was such an anomaly. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I think what's happening now is that with the innovation and sophistication in technology, the beauty is that it's really lowered the bar and increased accessibility for more people to launch businesses, Mm -hmm. which is incredible. Um, The downside to that is that there is a lot of competition on Mm -hmm. digital channels for consumers. Mm -hmm. And for the consumer, it's incredibly noisy. It's very overwhelming. Extremely. Right. You don't know who to pay attention to. You know, I sort of equate it to going onto Amazon and typing in black turtleneck. Right. And you've never heard of the 75 private label black right. turtlenecks they sell. Right. And you don't have context to make a decision to know no. is $20 expensive or inexpensive for no, this item, right? Um, so I think that's happening with consumers digitally. And yes. um, what you are seeing is that most brands are trying to find physical um, ways to get their brand in front of consumers Mm -hmm. so that they can break through that noise. Yeah, that's because I work with women in their closets for a living, and that's when they come to me. They're like, I I can't scroll anymore. I'm totally overwhelmed. I'm lost. I don't know who any of these people, you know, that kind of thing. So um, there is a lot of noise for sure. Yeah. And then so tell us, how do you think the PR industry has changed since you were at YSL? Well, back then, it was really about the four books. It was about W, L, Vogue, mm-hmm. and Harper's Bazaar. And, you know, of course, all the other ones were important as well, but it was really sure. those primary four books. And, you know, your KPI was how many pages do you have in the magazine compared mm-hmm. to your competitors? And mm-hmm. that was it. And then the second tier to that was, you know, which celebrity are you dressing? Mm-hmm. Um, what is the event it's for? Mm-hmm. And are they high profile enough or not? Mm-hmm. And how strategic was it? Um, now it's very challenging. You know, mm-hmm. the the publications don't deliver the traffic that they used to. Um, they're not attributable at all, which means that you can't track if it was from reading that page in Vogue mm-hmm. um, versus a website where if you click off, it's very mm-hmm. attributable. Um, and you know, there's, uh, you know, I think it's it's there's more of a necessity to. Um, have a direct conversation with the consumer, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. social media is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think brands are very, you know, especially luxury brands are very protective of their social channels and wanting mm-hmm. to make sure they're very on brand. Mm-hmm. The downside to that is that they're, you know, they're not, um, they're not relatable. They're mm-hmm. not as authentic and transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's really challenging. It's probably more challenging for luxury brands than it is mm-hmm. for some of the contemporary mid-tier brands. Mm-hmm. Um, but having a social strategy is really important as well. Yeah. And then, so tell us about the decision to close Rachel Lee and start Cricket Circle. Yeah, so I had my son, um, and... I had been running the business for about eight years, and I'd really hit this point where I felt like I wasn't growing anymore. I really Mm -hmm. wasn't challenged. I really felt as though, you know, it wasn't um, requiring a lot of strategy for me anymore. Mm -hmm. And somebody approached me about licensing the brand, and it was one of those moments where it's sort of like all the stars aligned, where Mm -hmm. the timing worked of me feeling sort of emotionally ready coupled with really wanting a new challenge and the, mm-hmm. and the deal was right that I decided to do it. Um, so I licensed the business and I spent time transitioning my team over and then I exited the business. And when I did that, 
I basically sat at a desk every day and tried to come up with all these terrible business ideas. <laughs> I was, you know, I'm a masochist and I had to go do it again. Um, but what I realized in that process, you know, probably looking back nine or 12 months through that process was that you can never force a good idea. It sort, mm-hmm. sort of just happens very naturally. Mm-hmm. And I was so anxious and hungry for mm-hmm. the next project, that next yes. challenge, like put me in coach and like, I'm ready to really like work really right. hard and, and create and build something that I was very impatient with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I would do is I would go and I meet with people and I'd share like all these terrible ideas that I had that mm-hmm. I wasn't particularly passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then naturally I would talk about how I just had a my son and a lot of the pain points and challenges around having a child Mm -hmm. and you know like every new parent you think that you can reinvent the world a baby and parent (laughs) and child um and you know what was frustrating to me was that when I was pregnant, I received probably about 40 Excel spreadsheets of um, lists of things that friends Hilarious. and friends of friends told me to purchase. And it was really hard to decipher which of those products were right for me, mm-hmm. you know, and and what to purchase. And so I ultimately ended up creating Cricket Circle, which was essentially a cliff notes of what to buy when you have a baby. Mm-hmm. And the idea being is that it would be very direct, digestible, relatable editorial content that would help you understand do you need a telescoping handle on a stroller? What the hell is a telescoping handle? You know, what does 25 pounds mean to a stroller? Right. Um, And we would say, you know, it's too heavy to carry up a flight of stairs, but you can Mm -hmm. lift it in and out of a trunk. Things Mm -hmm. like that that Mm -hmm. people could really relate to. Um, And we built this incredibly loyal and committed um, customer base that was really, really hungry for our content. We were testing a number of different monetization strategies. We had just raised a round of venture capital And as we were doing that and testing it, we kept hearing from our customers that, you know, this is my holy grail, but once you become a parent, you build confidence around making some of these decisions. And now what's really frustrating is that my kids are growing really quickly and they're outgrowing their clothes Mm -hmm. and it's really hard to find cool clothes that aren't expensive. And I was like, yeah, no kidding, me too. That's so frustrating. It's making me crazy. Um, And as we started testing into that, we believed that there was a massive opportunity for what became Rockets of Awesome. So we really did do quite a pivot in the business. Um, We did carry forward and transition a lot of the editorial content that we felt was um, really where we built the trust and the loyalty with our consumer and where we felt like there was a real need in the market to continue that piece of it. But, um, you know, we focused on building this brand. We knew that we were going to have to sort of, there wasn't a lot of mitigating risk on this one. and the reason being is because we had already mitigated and understanding this consumer and building a database of this exact customer, so that mm-hmm. helped. Oh, yeah. um, but if we were gonna go compete with Gap, Old Navy, yeah. J. Crew, we were gonna have to launch hard and we were gonna have to launch with a full assortment. So it required capital, it required a team, um, and it was a much bigger endeavor than sort of you know my first business that I launched at the time. Right, jewelry from your living room. Yeah, exactly. Phoebe, do you wish that you had had a cricket circle? How did you know what to buy from me? We had a, well, that was before that. We had a book called What to Expect When You're Expecting, and that was the same thing. We would just read by month by month and know what was going to happen and everything. But, yeah, we didn't have anything like that. But, of course, there were probably three strollers you could choose from. You know, then it got 
to be so right exactly crazy yeah. and then once you're a mom you realize it doesn't really matter what stroller it is right. it's going to break anyway and I hate them all right. you know there's you no perfect one I'm not going to run you know with my baby in this so like, she'll still go to college if you buy the right. wrong bib you right know? right right exactly exactly oh my yeah Okay, well, Cricket Circle was such a good idea. It didn't turn out exactly as you had thought. So tell us about the learnings from this, and was it painful switching gears? You had fundraised. You know, I think because we were really staying true to the category, the consumer, um, mm-hmm. and continuing to solve problems for that customer, the the transition felt... Um, much better. I would say that as CEO and the founder of the company, it was an extremely emotional time. Um, One where you're challenged with, you know, is this a failure? Did I do something wrong? What could I have sort of, um, you know, is there anything I could have done to sort of anticipate this? Coupled with wanting to make sure that you really think about all of your constituents and sort of the next decision forward, right? So I had my team, I had my customers, I had my investors, I had to do right by all of them. And, um, you know, I was really excited by the opportunity with Rockets. Mm-hmm. I, again, personal pain point that I had experienced that yes. I really believed in. Um, all of our customers were telling us that it was something that they wanted. Um, and because we were able to continue to do right by the customer, because we treated our investors really thoughtfully through that process, um, I was actually really proud of how yeah. it all transitioned. Um, I mean, it was just amazing. Yeah. Because they were growing with you. You all now had your kids. Right. Those yeah. people that had read that and learned from that were now looking to you for the next Yeah, so it, it felt very aligned with, like, make lemonade out of lemons, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. Um, but it's still something I really love and believe in. And yes. there was a founder who was sort of working on something similar. And I was like, wait, that's like Cricket Circle 2.0. Oh. Um, so I've been advising her business. Oh, that's nice. um, because it's something that I do believe there's a market for. I think there has to be... Um, a very distinct sort of operational dynamic for which it can be successful, but it's something that I love supporting and advising and helping to develop entrepreneurs and certainly, you know, a a business idea and category that I'm super passionate about. So it's fun to be able to continue to sort of support it that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's fabulous. And you were also dealing with the emotions of being a new mom. Yeah. Oh, my God. We we decided to launch to, to like, really move forward on Rockets as I was in labor oh with, my with my now four-year-old. So oh, I was in labor so with Gemma. I spoke to an investor on the phone. No, you did not. And I said... I'm away to the hospital. Can we talk in a couple of days? Oh my god! And he was like, "Okay, don't call me. Like, we'll talk when things wow. settle down." You know, I was like, "No, no, just a couple of days. Oh, I just need a couple of days." Because you know? <laughs> I'm crazy. Um, that's hilarious. But you know, when you're passionate, you're excited about something. You're sure, raring to absolutely. go. So absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh! So tell us about so rockets of awesome, adorable children's clothes, baby. We know someone that. Well, we know everyone, but just the other day we were in a store and we were talking to somebody and 
she doesn't have kids yet, but she has a niece that she adores. And I said, have you heard of Rockets of Awesome? And immediately her face gets all smiling and she's like, oh, May. And May is her niece. You know, and she's like, of course we know about Rockets of Awesome. So it just makes it such a happy thing. Just the I name know, alone makes you smile. I know. It's um, it's such my happy yes. place. And um, it really does always bring a smile to people's faces, right. which makes it so worthwhile yes. and so gratifying. Um, and the clothes are so happy. The clothes are really happy. The brand is very happy. The name is happy. Um, the name was one of the hardest things to land on because it was kind of weird mm-hmm. and it's very long. And um, I was actually on Rebecca Jarvis's podcast and she asked me, mm-hmm. what was the best like worst advice or the worst advice mm-hmm. that somebody ever gave you and I said well you know somebody told me that I shouldn't call this Rockets of Awesome mm-hmm. um, but you know it was one of those things where I knew the brand had to elicit an excitement mm-hmm. and a happiness to it mm-hmm. it couldn't be too cute it had to be cool it had to speak mm-hmm. to both the parent and the kid it actually really represents kids and their like magical unpredictable oh, yes. spirit so we say that kids are rockets of awesome, I mean, it's which is fabulous. really fun. It's just fabulous. Um, but yeah, you know, really the idea was, can we design and sell direct to the customer really awesome, stylish, quality kids clothes that are super comfortable, very practical. You can put everything in the machine, um, sizes 2 to 14, and create a brand and an experience that spoke to both the parents and the kids yeah. because... That's very unique from what we're doing is that most kids' brands only speak to the kid. And mm-hmm. what they don't realize is that mm-hmm. the parent is actually the purchaser. Yes. So they really have two customers that they have to consider. And, you know, every single parent has a story of like, oh, my God, I had to buy that ugly legging for my daughter because sure. she begged for it. And oh, I, yeah. She won't I take it I can't tolerate it. Yeah. She'll only wear black right now. Right. Yeah. It's like the only thing she wants to wear. Yeah. So really the goal was like, how do we make really awesome clothes that kids love but parents also love as well yes so we sell it uh, via e-commerce on our website we have a subscription offering so you can sign up on our website tell us everything your kids hate and love i love that aspect of it yes it's very important the hate is actually more than more important than the love right um well i taught kindergarten so yeah exactly yeah i'm sorry he's in black again that's all he'll wear right now so you know if if the child loves stripes exactly or wants to be a fireman or, or hates wants buttons to be a dancer, or hates yes. buttons you've solved the issue and the parents are thrilled yeah i mean that you know the, the piece fighting. of the right exactly that's what we're trying to eliminate we're trying to morning. eliminate this sort of moment where there's no fighting in the morning but there's also the feeling of empowerment and yes. so what's really unique about the way that we do our subscription is that we send the parents a preview of what we're going to send before we send the box out. So that enables them to really have control. So the yes. parents can say, I actually don't like that legging, or we right. don't need another skirt in our house, or whatever right. it is. At which point, the box arrives in the home, and they can then completely let go and empower the kids to make the decision. It's like playing And that's where the fits. Yeah, exactly. So and they feel like... These are my clothes. This is my decision. Look what I not, got, mom. not what you want me to wear, mom. Right. You know. Right. And mom's like, I just Jedi mind tricked you. Like, yeah, you exactly. <laughs> what a surprise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I love it. It's brilliant. And then tell us more about how you are using data to make educated decisions. 
Right. So data is underlying in everything that we do. So everything that we're collecting on the subscription sign up to every single touch point in e-commerce flow, the emails that our customers open and click into and how they purchase through that. We're also collecting data in our store. So we have a store on Fifth Avenue and 20th Street in Manhattan. Very exciting. Um, yes, very, very exciting. And we're collecting data to understand how customers who shop there, how they behave online. All of that underlying helps improve the customer experience. So it helps improve um, being more on point of what our customers um, are shown in their e-commerce journey, what our team is designing, what we're buying into, mm-hmm. um, so that every single touch point feels more and more personalized as you mm-hmm. shop with us. Yeah. That's great. And then, so tell us about the fundraising process, especially being a, is it a solo, a female solo founder? What is that term? Um, it's called a, yeah, like a single co-founder. Okay. Um, and sometimes yes, yes, right. So yeah, so I've, I've fundraised, um, as a sole founder, a pregnant female, it's basically like every ding against you, right? Um, with like a husband that people know about that is right. high profile, exactly. um, which doesn't help the situation. Right. So... You know, it's funny. It, you, I feel like all those moments you're like, oh, that like doesn't really happen or that wouldn't happen to me. Right. And, um, it does happen. Wow. And it's happened to me lots of times. And, you know, it's always disappointing when those experiences or what people tell you they could be and then right. they happen. Right. But um, it's funny. Every time it would happen, I'd be like, oh this is that moment. That's what they tell you about, right? right? And I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm like so prepared for this. And not that I had a plan of how I was going to react to it, but, you know, people would say things to me like, so you're a mom, so, you know, how much time are you going to spend on this? Or they would say, so, you know, you're pregnant and you have a child. Um, how do you spend your time? I'm sorry. Just like outrageous. I wanted to be like, what the app is wrong? That? Right. Right. So I would sort of always give like a really awkward long pause Good. to just try to make them feel as uncomfortable as possible about right. the situation. Brilliant. Okay. And then if they knew Neil, I would look at them and I would say, well, exactly the way Neil does. And that just sort of like immediately Shut killed the conversation. Yeah. Um, or I would say, well, what do you mean? Because I would really <laughs> want them to like continue to hear themselves and like have to say it, right? Um, and you know, ultimately, I wanted I wanted them to know that what they were saying and how they were treating me was unacceptable. Yeah. But I also wanted to take the high road, sure, um, and I wanted to be professional. Um, and more than anything, it lit fire under my ass. To yes. me, I was like, "Screw you! I'm going to yeah. prove it to you. Right. You're now on my you know dead to me list. I will <laughs> never talk to you again. Exactly. Um, and I'm going to prove you wrong. Right. And that fire is powerful. Yes, right? it is. So. You know, I, it's certainly more challenging. It, it unfortunately, you know, it, there's a natural sort of boys network because, yep. you know, it's easy for guys to like chat up guys and sure. like talk about the game or play yep. golf or whatever. Yep. Just like it's easier for women to chat up women, right? right? There just happens to be less women both on the venture side as well as the entrepreneur side, right? right and right, so right. more than anything, there's a real necessity for there to be more women in both places right. and for them to support each other and yeah. to build networks and build support and introduce more women into it. And right. I think the more you can do that, the more that there starts to become equality. And the more that we talk about it like this, 
the more women see, well, I could do that too. And when right. that happens to me, I can sit back and let them try and answer. Get exactly. Their, yeah. Yeah. Make their way out of this whole thing. <laughs> so full disclosure, just one sentence about who your husband is. Since oh, so Neil, my husband is the founder, co-founder and co-CEO of Warby Parker. Right. I love it how y'all are so supportive of each other. <laughs> yeah, I think it's fabulous. I was looking too. at your stories and how y'all are maybe looking to do another store. Yeah, so we're gonna open a number of new stores this year. Um, so I started. We've been going on real estate tour. So it's always funny when you go and you, you know. Yesterday I went and I saw like three of his stores <laughs> right. everywhere I went. You know. Of course, we um, just got one in Birmingham. Oh yes. Like, have you heard about this brand? It's called Warby Parker. Me and my mother. Know, but that's amazing. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All my clients, I think we're going to go to Warby Parker and get the glasses. What shape should we get? I mean, yeah. it's so cute. It's, it's, so, it's fun. so fun. Yeah. They haven't heard of it. And okay. it's really fun to see the way our kids respond to mm-hmm. it because, um, particularly my son who's eight, my daughter's four, my son who's eight is paying attention to everything. He hears mm. everything we say. Oh, how funny. You know, even my four-year-old was like, oh, you're going to a speaking engagement? And I was like, how did oh, you know that, that, you know? Um, I love that. But, you know, I remember last year we came home from work and, you know, he said to me, mom, I have this business idea. And I was like, uh-uh. okay. Uh-uh. And he said, we had we had bought him a 3D printer for Hanukkah. And he was, he was really passionate about building things and creating things. And so he said... You know, I noticed that cell phone cases are really expensive and they're usually $40 and there's nothing really special about them. And, you know, I can make a less expensive cell phone case that's just as nice, um, but I could charge $10. And, you know, just like Warby Parker, I could sell, you know, directly to the customer oh, and so you know and, so and he went on and on and he had he had really he had um uh-uh. he had investigated squarespace and was telling oh me about squarespace gosh. and i was going to build eight? a website he's eight years old he was seven at the time oh, that's so fabulous and on and on and on and it was just one of those moments you're like this is yes. cool that they're yes. surrounded by it and they're listening and yes. they're paying attention and even if they decide to go do something completely different yes. Yes. that they have that awareness and that knowledge and that. that they that they can do it exactly that's the thing like yeah. my generation especially when we started working together I would say I can't do that I can't do this and she always said wait why why can't you do that you know which made me go hmm, okay I guess I'll try you know and it, and it worked out and then you learn more yeah. so being his age and already knowing intrinsically right. from what his parents have shown him that of course he can yeah exactly no question there yeah and what is it like with two a couple that are both entrepreneurs uh, it's funny. People ask this all the time, and I actually think it's easier. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. People are like, oh, my yeah. God, it must be so crazy and impossible and hectic. And, you know, what? the reason it's easier is because we both understand our lives, yeah. each other's lives yeah. so well. Um, and so there's never a question of, well, why do you have to you know, go to that thing tonight or why can't, you know, why do we have to leave on a trip a day late because you have to travel there or, you know, and, 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 um, it also makes, you know, conversations really easy because we can really relate to them. So I'll come home and I'll say, you know, I have this, you know, thing that I'm, that I'm trying to navigate, like how have you handled it? Or, you know, we're trying to learn about X. Can we talk to somebody on your team that's done that before? So it actually makes it, I think it makes it easier. Yeah, I do too. Um, there's not the guilt of, understanding of like why are you like making like having this crazy lifestyle and taking all these risks yeah because yeah yeah i hear you Um, so it works for us it's really fun to to 
be excited for each other. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. My stepdad started a construction company, so yeah. maybe So we're both. Too. Yep. <laughs> okay. So tell us about opening a store. How's it going? What are your thoughts on brick and mortar? So I call my store or our store my happy place. Yeah. Um, it is the happiest, most sort of magical place, and. You know, it was something that the vision for the business was always to be omni-channel. So mm-hmm. um, we had the e-com business subscription. We're starting to dabble our toes very selectively into wholesale. Mm-hmm. Um, and so brick and mortar was the next natural step. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we wanted to make sure that we were mitigating risk. And so, you know, the idea was let's build out a store that's temporary so mm-hmm. that we can really test and learn and very be sure. very sort of cautious on the budget we put in to it, but very specific on what are we trying to learn and make sure that we're optimizing for those learnings so that um, when, you know, the pop-up period was over, we could walk away saying, you know, these are the 10 things we learned or the three things we learned, and this is what it means in terms of next steps. Um, the store was wild. You know, I think I started looking for real estate six or eight months out. Nobody mm-hmm. wanted to talk to me. You know, I'm like, you, you want to give me like a two month lease? And they were like, how about a 10 year lease? You know, oh, yeah, sure. nobody wants to talk to you for a two month lease. Sure. Um, and we finally convinced a landlord to lease a space to us four weeks before we were to open. Oh um, so it was a mad dash. We built out the store in seven days. Wow. And it was the most incredible um, team collaboration that I've ever been a part of. The way that oh. this team came together. It makes me cry every time yeah, I think about really it. Neat. The way this team came together and like built IKEA furniture and spray painted oh on gosh. 20th Street in Manhattan and um, you know, just just like went to the ends of the earth to sure. bring this to life was so incredible. And thankfully the customer has been incredibly receptive and it's been such an incredible learning. We've learned so much. We um, have had a tremendous amount of success with it. And um, it's now going to be a permanent location for us. So awesome. it's really exciting. Yeah. With maybe more to come. Right? More to come. Um, I think the most important sort of point of view that we had on the store and that is really sort of proven out to us was the necessity to again build a space for both consumers. So build a yeah. space for parents and kids and build one. To me, I was like, we have to have independent activities where mm-hmm. kids can be engaged and distracted uh-huh. so that parents can shop yep. and um, not be annoyed that like your your child is like right. pulling at you oh, and being like, mommy, God. when can we leave? Um, I mean, that's almost like they want to go there to escape that rather than... Right, right. So what happens is, is like we have this giant marshmallow pool in the middle of oh, the store. Oh, that's so great. And kids jump in there immediately. They know what to do. And <laughs> they basically cry when their parents, you know, beg oh, them to funny. leave. And um, it's... It's been amazing. It's that been so much fun. So amazing. There's yeah. One store I was thinking about that when, when y'all were teenagers, for parents to go in, there was a very strong smell, scent. Abercrombie Yes. Yes. Oh and my the god. Music, oh, that the music, cologne they used to yes, spray around. And the music was probably still there. So loud yeah. that every mom was like, "Do I have to go?" Right. You were like, "Can I bring the earplugs?" <gasps> right. Oh my gosh. And then, so all three of us are type A. I'm <laughs> sure responding to an email real quick yeah. as we're talking. I love it. How have you learned to remain calm and not be too uptight in business and life? This is something I'm really trying to learn. So having children has like fundamentally changed me. Um, I, I think a couple of reasons. One, um, 
you learn to like not sweat the small stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are like small details, as all good Type A people we are that you sure. care about. But um, I think kids put everything in perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think they require you to really, that perspective requires you to like develop maturity. Mm-hmm. And so that maturity enables you to um, not be so sort of like stressed out about right. every last detail. I think also um, you realize over time that, you know, you can only sort of like push yourself and your team as much as you can. You do your very best. Um and you set everyone up for success. And then ultimately, you have to really um, sort of battle through any challenges that come your way, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I think having kids teaches you. The, the biggest thing I've learned is that having kids taught me that you can't have it all. Mm-hmm. And I will caveat that with saying that when people used to say that, I was like, screw you. Right, I'll do No it. way, I'm going to have everything. Right, right. But what not having it all just means that you can't have everything, but doesn't mean you can't have the things you love. Right. Right? So, right. like, I hate cooking. Right, I me too. I can't right. have cooking dinner. Right. And guess what? Like, that works for me, right? right? So there are certain things that I've let go of, of, like, pretending or thinking that, like, I have to do as a good mom that I don't enjoy anyway, right? I still right. work out. I still see my right. girlfriends. Right, I still right, go right, shopping, right. whatever it is. Um, I've really, you know, like, when the school calls and they say, you forgot to sign this permission slip, or yeah. I can't tell you how many times my babysitter's called and said, um, so Griffin's not at school. I'm here to pick up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sorry. I forgot to tell you I didn't go to school today. Right. And to have no guilt about that right. to me is like the greatest accomplishment in right. life. That is hugely. So that is where I've like given in to like not having it all and that like I don't have to be perfect and right. on point on all of those things because right. I will be on the things that are really matter to right. me. It's yeah. kind of like embracing the chaos. You finally realize, exactly. I can't control all of this, Yeah, but it's pretty special what's happening. Yeah, and you, you control the things that really matter right. to you. Yeah. Yeah, being perfect, striving for perfect is too much. So right. none of that. Right. <laughs> none of that. So tell us, what does the future of Rockets of Awesome look like? We just really want to continue to support and inspire and foster confidence in kids and make sure that they continue to feel like they're their best selves. You know, hopefully if they're wearing clothes that are representative of their identity, um, that they're comfortable in, that their parents feel like they look cool in, then they feel really good about themselves. Mm -hmm. We want to create, you know, amazing customer experiences, more stores certainly. Um, You know, my ideal is that every store, the format is a little different so that every store you visit, you know, it feels like Rockets, but it feels unique to that neighborhood. And, um, um, we'll be launching a new really big category this year that we're excited Ooh. about. So stay Wonder tuned for more on be. that. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that more than anything we've learned is that we just listen to our customer mm-hmm. and we really follow their lead. And that's where sort of um, always takes us to like the really magical, successful places. Mm-hmm. When I'm looking at this rack of clothing, I can't, I, I just imagine you'd have to skip. When you were wearing that, you'd have to be skipping down yeah. the street yeah. and jumping. You would not just be walking along, you know. It's really you just happy. A, yeah. a, a great way to express yourself as a child, yeah, for sure. Exactly. Yeah, and also the collabs. So I walked by the DVF store and saw that was it's so adorable. DVF. Yeah, that was really exciting. That was such an honor. We did a partnership with DVF and Rent the Runway. Um, 
And we did Mommy and Me matching outfits oh, for holiday, fun. which was really fun. And we um, included, you know, a group of really incredible, um, you know, influencer women to be a part of the campaign, which was great. And really wanted to talk about the message of moms inspiring their daughters mm-hmm. to really believe in themselves and have the confidence to know that they could do anything. So that was really exciting. Um, we just opened a massive shop and shop at the entry to the Times Square location of Foot Locker, which has been incredible. Oh, fun. Um, so they have been, they're an investor of ours and they've just been Great. incredible partners. They gave us all the digital billboards outside of the Times Square store over the holidays, which was It blew my mind. You know, when they tell you they're going to do it, you're like, oh, yeah, that's like, that's really nice of you. And then you see it and you're like, holy crap. I can't believe they gave us to us. This is crazy. (gasps) Oh, that's so great. So that was amazing. Um, I'm trying to think what else. We have a number of collaborations coming up this Mm -hmm. year, which will be exciting. Um, So much We're launching a hypercolor collaboration in the next, like, week or two, which is exciting. So I don't know if you remember hypercolor from the 80s, but that fabric that when you touch it, it changes color. Yeah. So for kids, that's like, oh, you know, yeah. for the parent, it's a throwback to like the late 80s, early yeah, 90s. Sure. For the kid, it's just really cool that it changes yes, color. So definitely. that'll be fun. That's so great. Yeah. And you will find as your daughters get older that you are very much inspired and encouraged by them oh, too. Yeah, it's so for interesting. Sure. How do you balance being a mom and a businesswoman? Any, any quick advice so, for people trying? Really, it's I have incredible support. So mm-hmm. my in-laws live four blocks away. Mm-hmm. My husband really tags teams with me. Mm-hmm. We have an incredible nanny who's very reliable. So I'd say it's a combination of that and being really disciplined about my schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, I schedule time to see my children. Yeah. I schedule time to spend time with my husband. Right. Everything is very scheduled, um, which ensures that you don't miss anything. Yes. Right? Um, and I think the beauty of running your own company and even being at a startup is that there's flexibility. So yes. we want parents to work here to be able to go out and go to the school performance, right? right. You can't miss those important moments. Doctor's office, um, yeah. Right. So um, it's really a balance and, and relying on support mm-hmm. that I have. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, this is something that I'm wondering about a lot recently, and I've started asking everybody about this. So in right now, the times we're living in, everybody's angry and anxious, and it's uncertain, and um, even kids are under a lot of stress. How do you, well... I was going to say, how do you find time to feel positive about the world? But you're obviously in the middle of all of this goodness. You know, I think I think with our kids, it's about their... What you realize about kids is that everything is new to them. Mm-hmm. And so really, we really focus on sort of opening their eyes and their minds mm-hmm. to the world around them. So, you know, my kids are in a language immersion program. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both learning Spanish. Mm-hmm. They, my daughter is learning about Frida Kahlo. She's oh. obsessed with her. Aww. We were trying to plan a holiday trip, and we said, let's go to Mexico City because yes. she wanted to go to Casa Azul. Oh, that's you amazing. know, when do you get to go to a place that your kids are really, that are, that's, yes. you know, really culturally interesting that your kids want to go yes. to. Um, my husband's going to Hong Kong in the spring. Griffin is like begging to go. Right. And so Neil said to him, well, you know, write, write a report for me of why you want to go to Hong Kong ah. and what you want to do there and what you want to learn and what you know about Hong Kong. And so it's really so sort of like opening their eyes to mm-hmm. the world around them. And I think that helps sort of distract us from yes. some of these things that while we can have a voice in it, we not we can't necessarily yeah. control. Can't stop it. Right. 
Well, where can everyone find you and Rockets of Awesome? So um, you can shop www.rocketsofawesome.com. You can follow us on Instagram at, at Rockets of Awesome. Um, you can come to our store on Fifth Avenue and 20th Street in Manhattan. Um, so lots of different ways to shop and engage and, and be a part of our world. Well, thank Fabulous. you so much for coming on the staff. Thank okay. you. Good for you. Have a little oh gift my God, for you guys are so thoughtful. <laughs> so thank you. Thank okay. you. Should I open it? Okay. And I'll ex- we can explain. Okay. What you should think when you use it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a style that binds a mug, and when you drink out of it, think about how you will live a stylish and fearless life. I love that. Which you are I doing. I love that. For That's sure. so fun. Yay. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you, you so much. This, this was, was really so fun. Great. If you like what you heard, tell a friend about our show, subscribe to our podcast, and also scroll to the bottom and give a rating and or a review. Those are the best ways for other people to find out about our podcast. See you next time. Bye. Bye.